Roundtable at leoroundtable.com. My name is Chip the Block, and I'm your host. We're a group of law enforcement professionals to talk about law enforcement issues, but we do it from a law enforcement perspective. I'm going to go ahead and introduce the crew to you. Guys, if you don't mind waving for the video portion of our show, uh, we have attorney and former federal prosecutor Ward Mythaller, and we also have all retired this evening, Captain Brett Bartlett, Corporal David D. Gresta, and producer Will Stasser. So thanks guys for being on the show. Uh, also a shout out to our sponsors. We have MyMedicare.Live, Galls, Extra Duty Solutions, GunLearn.com and Guardian Alliance Technologies. And we are also powered by Pexip. Hey, uh, another great lineup for you guys um, this evening. And you know, our, uh, our first main topic, I'm not sure how I really agree with it. You know, we love Chief Joel Schultz and he's the author of this article that's on Police One. It's titled Six Reasons tactical disengagement and redeployment is not, quote, running away, unquote. So I, I kind of wonder why, I, I wonder about the timeliness of this article, mainly because we've been covering stories where we've been somewhat critical of officers that have uh, a failure to engage or leaving cover. Um, in, in fact, the last week, man, there were, what, two videos where officers didn't shoot when they when we felt they really should have, and it risked their lives and lives of other people. Um, so. In, uh, in reference to this particular article, he talks about cops being mission-driven, that uh, when they engage, they're in it to win. They hate in order to stand down. He says that our heroes hold the line, damn the torpedoes, and say nuts to surrender. And then he says retreat is not an option, or is it? And completing any mission, whether it be a field conduct of a suspect, a hostage situation, lengthy investigation, whatever, it means not only winning, but also depriving your target of a victory in one strategic move, according to our author, is to disengage. It talks about running away and tactical disengagement and redeployment, that they're polar opposites of each other because one is a result of poor planning and the other is uh, winning a winning strategy. He talks about making sure that you have an avenue of retreat, that it's not less important than scanning for opportunities of cover and concealment. And then lastly, and I'm not, the whole article, you know, we're going to have the nuts and bolts of it and links to it. Uh, producer Will will put that up under the video. But it, he closes by saying the reality of many of our engagements is that we often think of our warrior spirit only as the tip of a bayonet. It talks about battles are won by strength and strategy. Tactical disengagement and redeployment is a strategic tool that should be in our toolkit. Um, so that's how he closes it out. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm curious what our panelists say. I must say I'm especially interested to see what Corporal David D'Agresta has to say about this. I know, David, don't give me that wide, dare-eyed look. But, uh, but anyhow, uh, if you don't mind starting us off, Corporal, um, I'd love yeah. to hear your input. I, I, don't, I don't disagree with him at all. Um, it should be a tool in your toolkit. But it shouldn't be the one that you go to automatically when things start to get hot um, in a, uh, on a call, during a confrontation, uh, uh, during a contact, whatever that might be. It, it shouldn't be the, the automatic default um, fallback, whatever you want to call it, uh, technique. It should be one. I mean, if you, if you are, in, in my opinion, if you, as an officer, uh, you you uh, are involved in a confrontation of some sort, and it starts going south, and it starts getting sketchy, and you have good cover. Um, you have a tactical advan advantageous position. Uh, you should not give that up. Um, you should hold it. <clears throat> if you do not, then yes, perhaps you should drop back, find that position of cover, find that position of safety to then reassess and, and redeploy 
direct your other officers to different other places around the, the perimeter, whatever the case may be. But uh, as long as it's not your your first go to, then, then fine. I don't have a problem with it being in, in your in your pouch. Uh, you know, you get a hostage situation, for instance, you're not just going to charge through the door, you know, again, uh, damn the torpedoes and, and all that sort of stuff. You have to take each circumstance, each situation into account. You have to be able to look at it objectively and come up with a immediate plan as to what your best options are. Uh, and if that means backing up and setting up a perimeter, calling hostage negotiators, calling SWAT teams, all that sort of stuff, that's all part of it. I, this is kind of one of those articles you kind of go, okay, what, what are we, where are we going with this kind of a thing? It should make sense to everyone. But um, he felt the need to write the article. Okay. Yeah, and David, keep your mic open. You know, it was uh, it was uh, also followed up by uh, uh, Lexapol that did a video on it as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I know that. Look, I can you think of any instances? I mean, I don't remember us unless I'm wrong, Dave. Unless you correct me, I don't remember having a lot of instances where we're critical of guys not disengaging as a tactical um, advantage. Um, I, I've seen it the other way, the where they're just not engaging. And the, remember the guy with the. Uh, uh, the hostage situation and the cop is running around a car, running away, and the, and you've got a guy with a gun, and uh, and the cop doesn't take him out. He had a perfect opportunity and great cover before he left it. Um, and there were two incidents back to back on videos last week on that. So I kind of I, I hope that it's just a topic that he wanted to cover, um, and it has nothing to do with these other instances that we're covering on the show where cops are just failing to engage. What do you? Uh, what do you uh, well, yes, I mean you've got to again the you see the the instances of the, the that fight or flight reaction that police officers who are human human beings have uh we've talked about the training that goes into um not suppressing that instant or that that response but channeling it properly and putting yourself in the, the scenario based training and uh, mindset training, you know, going over things in your head, how am I going to react to these things and, and putting them in your mind is how, how you're going to react to them and then following through with them. The, uh, the issue becomes when that fight or flight takes over and, and you see the, the guys or girls on the street get happy feet and they really cannot, their brain can't allow them to, okay, what do I do? And, and there's that, that strange uh, scattered running, ducking, dodging type of thing. It's not direct or it's not focused. So it, it is a training issue, I believe, um, that can be addressed. And, and Brett loves training. God, God knows we need, everybody needs more of it. But yes, it, it, it's something that can be overcome with training and should be addressed in training. But nonetheless, it, it shouldn't be the first thing that you consider. It should be a tool, yes, but not your default tool. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Corporal. Um, yeah, when you said scenario-based training, I thought Brett was going to have to start fanning himself for a second. So um, I, I wish they'd come out with an article on um, on failure to engage, on you know, covering some of the stuff that we're seeing. We Look, we've been covering it for, for months and seeing it all over the country. Guys are hesitant to go to lethal, and, and that's scary, and it's unfortunate, and it's costing people lives. You know, we, I, I, I don't know if we're going to I, I saw, and I might have gone off down a rabbit hole to, to find this, this, these articles that I read, um, and some of the um, some of the articles that I've seen recently having to do with state created uh, uh, jeopardy or state created danger, and they're starting to kind of 
talk that way in some of these articles, some of these legal articles about, okay, it's it's not only action that can create that, but inaction. And we had a, a kind of a little bit of a smattering of it on the last show where cops that didn't do anything were brought into question. Now, Ward explained it pretty eloquently and said, listen, that's that's I don't see it in, in those decisions, those legal decisions. But you can see the beginning of that starting to come out. If you as a police officer go to a scene and you don't take proper action, you just kind of walk away from it. Is there that same issue? I, I it would have to be a very specific situation. But that is something that we're starting to kind of get a, 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 a scene a little bit more. No, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, we've actually covered it in the last two shows. I know two shows ago, I believe that you were off that day. Uh, but, we, yeah, we've covered it the last the last two shows. So you're right. It is. It's a topic of conversation. Attorney Ward. Well, I actually didn't have much to say about this until David just said something. The concept of state created jeopardy is, is not really new. And it's not based on cops just walking away. It's based on cops doing something and then walking away. They've done something that put the victims in into jeopardy and uh, that it, it's not it's not something and it's a very very high standard by the way. So I I don't think it's anything to be particularly concerned about. You know, when Ward said that, my first recollection on that state created jeopardy, it's that case involving the, uh, you know, the guy that ended up having a gun in his garage and the cops went in into the open garage bay and he had, I think he had a couple cars in there or whatever, you know, that's what I think about. So um, that was reversed. That was reversed by the Supreme Court. It was reversed. Okay. Yes. I couldn't remember, but excellent. All right. Well, look, thanks, guys. Uh, let's uh, let's go ahead and hit an update here. And this is Kyle Rittenhouse. We didn't really cover, you know, look, it it, it wasn't really a police-related thing, but now it's it's starting to be. Um, on Police One, Kyle Rittenhouse found not guilty of all charges. Um, so I'd like to talk about that. I mean, I I for one was uh, it, watching parts of the trial. I didn't watch the whole thing, but with what I saw, the video I saw, and uh, the testimony I heard. Um, you know, I was really surprised and disappointed that he was even charged. I was ecstatic that he was found not guilty. Um, there's a actually three articles on this thing. The uh, second one, these are all police one. Portland police declare riot after uh, the crowd protesting Rittenhouse verdict turns up or turns violent. So, of course, it happens in Portland. Uh, if you're, I guess you're going to riot. Why, you know, why do it local when you can go to Portland and get away with it? And then lastly, cop fired for Rittenhouse donation wants his job back after Rittenhouse has been acquitted. I've only got a uh, a few seconds here, uh, but in, in uh, Norfolk, Virginia, Virginia police officer asking for his job back after Kyle Rittenhouse was declared cleared of all charges last week. Lieutenant William Kelly, 42 years old, he was fired in April when Norfolk police learned that he had sent an anonymous, supposedly anonymous, um, donation to Rittenhouse Defense Fund. An interview on Friday with the Daily Mail, Kelly said that he wants his job back. And he said that I love being a cop. It's part of me and who I am. It was a huge hit to me to lose my job. If I got the chance again, I'd jump on it. Um, a few things more on this. We'll be, we're gonna take a commercial break. We'll be right back. So let's talk about Medicare insurance options, especially if you're in the state of Florida. There's over 80 options in just Hillsborough County, Florida alone, and these benefits, they can change annually. So how do you know that you get the benefits that fit your specific health care needs? 
You can contact MyMedicare.Live or call Erie code 813-245-6656. And if you're in Hillsborough County or the villages especially, and these are all in Florida, and talk to James or Bobby, they'll meet you in person, they'll save you money on your Medicare copays, they'll find plans that your doctors actually accept, and they'll get more of the benefits that you actually qualify for. So again, that's area code 813-245-6656, or go to MyMedicare.Live. Also, Galls, uh, Galls.com, you know, we're uh, big fans of Galls. I've been working with Galls for many, many years, even before we started the Leo Roundtable show. And, um, if you go to Gauls.com, and Gauls pretty much carries everything except for guns and ammunition, uh, you're going to find – Brett, I checked it out, um, and and today, uh, right now, they've got a special 20% off of selected footwear and also on pants, 20% off. So please check out Gauls.com. Welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Show. So we left off talking about Lieutenant William Kelly, who was fired. And uh, it says that in April, he donated $25 to a GoFundMe uh, account. And, of course, I heard that they ended up getting suspended by GoFundMe. They stopped supporting Rittenhouse. But he, he gave it to Rittenhouse, and he left the following anonymous, anonymous message. God bless. Thank you for your courage. Keep your head up. You've done nothing wrong. Every rank-and-file police officer supports you. End of quotes. And he, he goes on to say that it was inter- he was interested in giving um, Rittenhouse a chance to defend himself in front of a jury. He knew that lawyers were very expensive, and he didn't want his city or the police department to be associated with it, so he chose to donate anonymously. However, um, it didn't stay anonymous for long. There was a data breach that led to his association with the Norfolk Police Department and his subsequent termination. And this is all covered in the Associated Press. And after the breach, the city of Norfolk said that Kelly's egregious quote, egregious comments erode the trust, unquote, between the police department and the community. And, of course, now he's since filed agreements against the department, hopes for a hearing date by the end of January, according to the Daily Mail. So that's where we're at on that. Um, any comments on uh, whether this guy should I, – I, for one, think this guy should absolutely get his job back. Um, David and Ward, go ahead. I'll let Ward go first. Go ahead, Ward. I, I, uh, I'm usually pretty supportive of – disciplinary action against cops who say things that harm the reputation of police departments. But he should, in my opinion, never have been terminated in the first place, whether Rittenhouse was acquitted uh, or, uh, or convicted. Uh, what he did, it seemed to me, was perfectly appropriate. He did it anonymously. He did, uh, it was only because of a, some sort of data breach that it even came out. So I didn't think the termination was fair. And it's particularly unfair, I suppose, in light of the acquittal, but um, I I, I don't think he should have been terminated in any event. With respect to the trial itself, uh, I agree with you, Chip. This is not a case that should have been brought. It was extremely weak. Uh, the prosecutor did things that, ma- that made me cringe. Um, the defense attorney was very good, uh, I thought. Don't get me wrong. I don't believe Rittenhouse should, he, should have been within 100 miles of that place. But that's not the issue. The, the, it, the, issue, is, the issue is the law. And the evidence, which all the liberal commentators paid absolutely no attention to whatsoever. Now, one thing that's interesting that you may not know is the Wisconsin uh, self-defense law uh, puts a burden of proof on the prosecution to prove that there there was no self-defense beyond a reasonable doubt. That is a really high standard, and it's it's clear why they lost. They they couldn't possibly prove that. They couldn't even prove it. I don't think it was a lower standard. Thanks, Ward. All right, David. 
Yeah, I, I agree with Ward. Um, the, the lieutenant there for, for Norfolk, I hope, takes more action than just a grievance. I mean, and a data breach. When, when GoFundMe closed that or suspended that, uh, that fund or that, uh, that page when they found out it, he was, had been charged with, with those crimes, they said, oh, we can't do that while he's, while he's charged. But then they reopened it when he was um, acquitted. Uh, data breach my, my eye. Um, they just released the information out there, and that's how this guy got tagged. I'm sure of it. So um, it, it, the whole thing stunk bad. And, and please explain to me, Norfolk Police Department, what is so egregious about those comments? How are those comments egregious? How do they erode any trust of anything? He never mentioned his department, your department, anything else about it. It was it was totally ridiculous. Yeah, I, I agree. I, and with both of you and Ward pointing out, you know, he took the necessary steps to keep it anonymous. It's not anonymous. It's not his fault that there was a data breach. Um, I, you know what, uh, Ward and David and, and Brett, I, I hope that he gets his job back. I, I can appreciate the fact that he wants to get hired back. I hope he gets his job back, gets any um, money coming to him. I hope that they um, that they reinstate him along with all the lost money financially. And I hope he leaves that 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 department that sucks. And I hope that he goes to another department where he's not going to have to be put to the grill like that and and, uh, and well, not lose his job for, for stuff he might say like that than when he covers his bases. You know, I, I've been a big proponent of, of exactly that, going where your, your talents and professionalism are appreciated. But this is, again, one of those situations. You have to look at this guy. He's a lieutenant. He, he's worked his way up through the ranks at this agency. I'm not sure how much he was 42 years old. I'm not sure how much time he's got on, how much time he's got left before he realizes a full pension at a, at a pay rate in a, a fairly sizable coastal city in, in Virginia. I mean, that's that might be a tough thing for him to do. He may need, just financially speaking, to get his position back. So I, that part I'm going to leave up to him. But I would say he needs to go for it on whatever whatever level he needs to do. He needs to do it. Agreed. Yeah, we have a we have a story with an agency that's trying to increase the uh, the uh, the age limit so they can get older officers work for them. So maybe you should consider that. I'm joking. That's a crazy idea, but um, we'll we'll hopefully get to that. If there's nobody else, uh, let's move on to our next one here. Then I think we've got a couple of videos, and we're going to start off with uh, Las Vegas. I've got a about two and a half minutes. So on YouTube, the channel is this is butter, and I really love this channel because they've got all the details and names of all the the players that are involved, officers and suspect involved in Northeast Las Vegas shooting. I wish that uh, uh, Lieutenant Randy Seven was on the show the night, you know, he retired from Las Vegas Metro, uh, but it says that uh, Las Vegas Metro officers, Jerry Burr and uh, Damaro Simmons, that they were responding to reports that two men, one of whom had a gun, were acting suspiciously at a, where else, but a mobile home park. And this happened on Tuesday evening. So the man with the gun was later identified as 25-year-old uh, Tavian Davidson. So when police tried to pat Davidson down the search for a weapon, of course, he runs away. So the officers give chase, and uh, Burr notices that Davidson pulls out a gun as he's running. So Davidson ignores commands from the cops to drop the gun, and instead, he actually aims it and fires one round at one of the officers. And they even, if you keep watching the video, they do a freeze frame of it because I didn't catch it during the initial chase. It wasn't, you know, it was dark and wasn't clear, you know, clear video. So both officers return fire. They hit him. In fact, there was a, a white parked car between them and the bad guy, so it gets taken out by one of the officers pretty well. So uh, they say it wasn't clear how many times the bad guy was shot, 
but police say he was treated for non-threatening injuries. So how he survived the shooting, I have not a clue. Davidson continued to run away, though. He tried to hop a chain-link fence. He was not able to do it. He falls to the ground, and then police take him into custody. He goes to the hospital, treated for his injuries, and uh, he's 34. Uh, well, his birth is 34 years old and has been employed with the uh, Las Vegas Metro since 2009, and he fired 13 rounds. And Simmons is 29 years old. He's been with the uh, department since 2021, so this year. And uh, he fired six rounds during the incident. Uh, we've got about... 20 seconds before I need to take a commercial break. Is there any uh, any comments on this that you want to take? Let's go through a commercial break. We'll be right back. So, hey, I want to take a moment and tell you guys about our friends at Extra Duty Solutions. Now, inefficiencies, they can negatively affect your staff's production morale as well as your agency's reputation. With proper oversight, however, your agency's extra duty, off-duty employment program, it can be profitable. Now, while you still control your program, Extra Duty Solutions, they administer it at no cost to your agency while taking on all the administrative burden, the insurance, and also the financial risk. They keep the program fair and transparent. They administer the program using your agency's rules, and they paid out over $75 million in extra duty work over the past 12 months. You can visit them today at extradutysolutions.com. Welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Show. Guys, any uh, comments on that uh, video, that shooting that we had, where we had two cops taking out the bad guy? Go ahead, David. Well, they didn't really take him out that well, but, but nonetheless, <laughs> um, I'm going to make, I'm gonna make a, uh, an assumption here that, that these officers had uh, the, reasonable, the reasonable suspicion to stop and frisk this, this guy. I'm going to make that assumption for what I'm going to talk about next, because that has to be there for them to this uh, translate. Um, they're approaching this guy, and the, the officer that's talking is doing a, a great job of trying to reel the guy in carefully and slowly and nicely. And oh, do you live over here? Where do you? Where are you going? I, I'm, and, and he's trying to distract. He's trying to get closer. The truck goes between them. He's trying to close the distance. And at the last second, he blows it. At the last second, he blows it before he's within striking distance. He tells the guy, "I'm going to pat you down." And right then, it was over with. The guy bolts. That was his. That was that was the mistake, and I saw him doing it. Oh, you live in the first trailer. Oh, the, yeah, nice guy today. I mean, just anything to distract until you can get close enough to strike. And he just didn't just didn't take that extra step. And right then I went, oh, you blew it. <laughs> but other than that, other than that, he was he was working it nice. I saw it coming. But he and he all he had to do was one more. Uh, does your do you have a friend that and anything to make the guy look somewhere else to take his eyes off the police officer? The guy look away and he'd have had him. That'd have been it. But he'll learn. Yeah, he, he didn't take him out by Brett standards anyhow. So, so yeah, listen, a, a, a moving target. And Brett, Brett's going to tell you a moving target is tough, tough. And you got a back, you got backstop issues with other with trailers or mobile homes that they're that are backstops. You know, if there's people in there, you know what's going on. This guy's running across. You're shooting cars. It's it's a lot of fun. <laughs> but you know, 
hey, guy pulls out gun, all bets off. We're, we're, we're going to shoot at him. So they, they tried Agreed. close. Agreed. Good point. All right. Um, video number two. And now we're on the YouTube channel called This Is Butter Again. A video shows SWAT team rescue a woman in a downtown L.A. hostage situation that left the gunman dead. You know, I... I wasn't sure whether I was initially going to use the video or not, and then I started getting better qualities of the video and uh, or better versions of it. And, you know, it's really a unique perspective because we're up in a high-rise, it's all glass, and we're in another uh, elevated structure uh, with really a beautiful view of what's going down, and you can still hear, still hear the sound. It's going right through the windows and stuff, flashbangs, bullets, and stuff. So I decided to use it, and of course, all the major media outlets are covering this thing. So it's and reading the story it says harrowing body cam video released on Thursday shows the moment a SWAT team stormed a downtown Los Angeles apartment and fatally uh, shot a man who was holding a gun to a woman's head during a hostage situation. So the footage shows LAPD SWAT. The team shoot and kill the suspect as the victim screams frantically in the background. Uh, several shots are fired during the rescue after officers burst through the door. The woman was safely taken away uh, from the scene as SWAT worked to clear the unit, and uh, she was not injured. It says the suspect was shot and died at the scene, and the coroner identified him as 45-year-old Rudy Anderson. And surveillance video from inside the apartment complex allowed officers to see the woman was in danger. Now, the video is actually captured by bystanders showing the suspect holding the gun to the hostage's head. And remember, it's a, you know, I believe it was nighttime, but everything's lit up inside the room, so you can you can see what's going down. The video appeared to have been shot from this multi-story structure across the street, about the same level, and you can see LAPD SWAT, um, you, and you can hear they're using flashbangs upon entry. They separate the suspect from the victim. They surround the bad guy who's on the ground at gunpoint. They're, they verbalize the presence of a gun, and, and then they just unload on the guy. Um, and you can't really see everything the guy, the bad guy's doing. You can't really see the gun in the video because this is um, now I'm looking at body cam footage inside the apartment that the that the SWAT team is using. Uh, but uh, LAPD said the man went on a violent crime spree. He shot a family, and then he prior to taking the woman, the hostage in the high rise. And uh, police said that Anderson held a gun to a person's head and pulled the trigger, but the gun didn't fire. He then shot at a family. Bullet grazed a 14-year-old boy's head, and then he attempted to carjack a woman, still another person's bicycle. So, definitely a bonafide bad guy, and there should be uh, there should be no one crying the night because this guy's no longer on this earth. It saved lives, David. Yeah. Um, first, back to uh, Chief Schultz's article. Uh, the police officers on the street actually pursued this guy on foot up to that building and inside the bottom front doors, he went in that, that high rise and they stopped and they tactically redeployed. Big mistake. That's the situation where you don't. You've got a bad guy running into a, a high rise apartment complex or condo building, whatever it was. You know there's a bunch of other civilians in there. That is, that is sorry, that's not the time to, to stop and, and tactically redeploy. That's the time you, you've got to go. You're, you're on the verge of an active shooter situation. That's not time to redeploy, guys. That's time to go. So that was my first moment of, of molar grinding. Um, after that, the SWAT guys get there. The guy's in an apartment. They've got him hemmed up. The woman is frantic. Uh, they, they, like you said, they breach. They do their thing. Although the one on the body cam, one SWAT guy falls down. I was like, oh. <laughs> So, but then they they they, yeah. they they get it together. They do their thing. Bad guy goes where he needs to go. 
the woman is absolutely beside herself, uh, like I said, frantic. And the one question that is still, that no one has been able to answer is, was her cat okay? Because that's all she was screaming was, get my cat, where's my kitten, where's my cat? I just want to know, did, was her cat saved also? Did the SWAT guys do the right thing and save the cat? Well, well, Ward is definitely a cat lover. I can tell from here. You see, when you said that, he's in full agreement with you. Wow. Uh, he's, wow. So he's, he was watching the video. Come on. But, uh, you know, cops fallen. I remember doing a uh, search warrant with a guy named Rick Sematelli. And I remember the uh, there was a group of, see, I don't, Brett, I don't, yeah, I'm trying to think if Brett was with me or not. When I, I don't think he was. So we hit, we hit the, well, on the way to hit the door, We've got some guys outside eating, you know, eating watermelon. <laughs> Rick, man, they dump it. Rick steps right on it and whoosh, his feet go off from under him. He falls smack down on his back. He busts, man, he, he busts the watermelon. It's just like pancaked and it's just stuff everywhere. And uh, then trying to get traction to uh, get through that freaking closed door, that bolted door. It was, it was difficult. So uh, yeah, all that was on video. I, I should, I should get that video, man, and, uh, and make him pay for it. But uh, yeah, it can happen. Any anybody else on this one? All right, let's uh, let's see what we got coming up the pipe here. I got another update. Um, this one is uh, on Police One, and I've got COVID vaccine mandates from around the country. I've really got one article of reference to this, but it's uh, it's Philly announces COVID nineteen vaccine mandate for all city workers. So I'm kind of surprised with everything that we're covering on the show every week, and how we've got the Fifth Circuit getting involved and they're putting a stay on what Biden's doing, and then we've got the Twelfth Circuit now, and and really. Uh, lawsuits that are really going in favor of banning these mandates. We've got, you know, Philadelphia doing this, but it says Philadelphia will require all of its more than 25,000 city employees to get a coronavirus vaccine by mid-January or risk losing their jobs. And it says that Philadelphia reversed a prior stance that unvaccinated workers simply had to wear two masks while working. Can you imagine wearing two masks while you're working? That's crazy. And here's a quote from Mayor uh, Jim Kenney saying that we bear a responsibility to mitigate the harm that would result from inadvertent transmission of COVID-19 to our colleagues and to the public and to set an example uh, for other organizations and companies. So I guess Mayor Jim Kenney has not got the memo that even though you're vaccinated, you can still get COVID and pass it about as well as you can if you're unvaxxed. And it says that we owe it to our city and to ourselves to do all that we can do to keep uh, to keep us all safe. And it says that starting in January on the 14th, policy will allow for 15 days of unpaid leave for unvaccinated employees and that after that, you're terminated. And it's being challenged by the FOP Lodge 5. Uh, the guy's uh, president's name is John uh, McNensby. And so he's going to be fighting it. But so that's where we're at in Philly. Uh, we've got a little over a minute left. Uh, Attorney Ward. I think the comment you just made that the vaccinated people, it's as easy for them to get COVID as the unvaxxed is totally untrue. Uh, the statistics absolutely do not bear that out. Now, I don't know what the 12th Circuit decision is you're talking about. I haven't seen it. I'd be interested in it. The courts have been showing deference uh, to the uh, vaccination requirements. Uh, two weeks ago, a court in Texas uh, upheld United Airlines vaccine uh, requirements. In September, a federal court um, uh, held that a private uh, health provider near Cincinnati uh, could require vaccinations. And in, in October, a federal appeals court approved New York's vaccine requirements. The, the Fifth Circuit, as we know, um, has put a stay on Biden's, but that's a whole different issue. The, uh, that's the federal government. 
All right. Thank you, Ward. We'll get right back to this in a second. Another commercial break. We'll be right back. Let's talk about industry leader in technology solutions for law enforcement, Guardian Alliance Technologies. Now, their software will cut background investigators' time in half. Now, we all know that there's more a call for more accountability in who we hire and select who gets to wear the badge. Now, Guardian has developed a CGIS-compliant background investigative software platform that helps weed out problematic applicants in record time. But Guardian, the entire background check process is more comprehensive, but it's also much faster for both the agency and the applicants. There's no upfront fees or long-term commitments, so I strongly recommend that you visit them today at guardianalliancetechnologies.com. Also, no matter how much you know about guns and ammunition, there's that knowledge gap that leaves you confused and missing the complete picture. GunLearn.com, they've taken the confusion out of learning and they made it easy. GunLearn.com, it's the first and only company that offer a step-by-step -step program that takes you from your present knowledge level to become a safe, accurate, and competent certified firearm specialist. They provide citations from federal law and ATF rulings for every point taught to ensure accuracy, and their training is approved by major forensic organizations, law enforcement agencies, and firearm manufacturers. Since 1996, they've taught everything that Leos need to know about firearms and ammunition to all facets of law enforcement. You can start today with online training or register to attend a live seminar. You can also get free training for yourself and your personnel by hosting a seminar at no cost to your agency. Come aboard as one of the most farm knowledgeable people in the world by joining the folks at gunlearn.com. Welcome back to Leo Roundtable. Is there anything else, Ward? Yeah, I just wanted to explain the difference here between the decisions involving state police power and the OSHA case that the Fifth Circuit put a stay on. By the way, there's lots of cases challenging Biden on that. They're all going to be consolidated in the Sixth Circuit. Um, there's a three-judge panel. It's a pretty conservative panel. I predict that they will uh, uh, turn down the uh, mandate. Uh, there's, there's, there hasn't been any under the emergency rule since 1983. There were 10 before that, five were overturned. I think this will be overturned, um, but I don't think it's going to be because of anyone's rights. It's going to be because of overreach by a federal agency. Okay, thank you. Now, Ward, you know, um, I know you're not necessarily a big fan of copying COVID by Jeff Childers, the attorney in Gainesville, Florida, but um, I, I get the newsletter, uh, follow it religiously, and of course, all the links and the data. There is a new study out of New, I believe it's New England. Um, all there's no uh, mortality deaths from anyone that has natural immunity, and the hospitals are filled. Um, they're the priority of people that are in the hospitals, and uh, almost half the people that are dying are all vaccinated. Um, and there are studies out supporting uh, my reference to when you you can get COVID and pass it on about as easily as you can if you're not vaccinated. There are studies that back that up and. Again, every time I pick up coffee and COVID, I run into a new study um, that supports that. Well, send me that study because I don't believe it. It's, I mean, that's all there is to it. Well, and uh, now, so in terms of the COVID, and I won't have to. You'll be the most informed guy it, in the room. It, the uh, 
the last time I looked at the hospital statistics, there were way more people unvaccinated that were in the hospitals. But in any event, most of these people are probably older people, and that's why they're in the hospital, and they'd probably be dead if they weren't vaccinated. Well, data data is turning, and it's uh, turning very, very quickly. So, again, my advice would be um, subscribe to the newsletter. It's free, and it's a lot of uh, – you'll be the smartest guy in the room when we talk about, you know, COVID and, of course, even the mandates. In fact, he's initiating a lot of the uh, – um, spearheading a lot of the efforts for these lawsuits in court. Um, now, producer Will, I know you've had your mic open, so uh, and uh, and I know David's waiting to talk too. We've got about seven and a half minutes to so go ahead, producer Will. Um, Michael MVS just donated. Ah, Michael MVS in Colorado. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate it. Also, producer Will, I saw you typed on uh, on YouTube. We have been trying forever to get the ten thousand subscribers. And can you can you can you tell us, Will? what you posted on there, what you saw, because I hadn't seen the figure yet until you posted it. I think uh, just yesterday we hit 10K subscribers on YouTube. Wow, that's, that's huge. And, and it's taken us almost six years to get there, guys. Um, YouTube is not, look, it's the, still the biggest platform out there. Uh, thanks to Ward, we've gotten up to 160,000 views in a month before. Um, but, you know, they... They don't, you know, we're conservative and we're law enforcement. So we get we get hit all the time. They've demonetized the channel um, and they demonetize the videos automatically. Um, so anyhow, it's um, we have you know sponsors that support us and support law enforcement because we have a pro law enforcement platform. So please support our sponsors. Uh, but uh, I need to find out who that number 10,000 is. Uh, but thanks, guys, for your support. Everybody watching the channel. And of course, Michael MBS. Thank you. Corporal David D. Gress, the floor is yours. You know, I, I keep repeating myself on this subject and, and the, the unfortunate reality to all of this, the COVID stuff and state governments and the like is that it is it is no longer it no longer has anything to do with any science whatsoever. It's strictly about politics um, and control and um, doing what I doing what you're told kind of a thing, because we say it's it's the good thing to do. Uh, so it's it's unfortunate these places are like this. Uh, but a lot of them, the people voted those voted themselves into that mess. And you're going to have to vote yourselves out if you want to change it. But it's it's got nothing to do with science anymore. All right. But science is important. But you're right. A lot of decisions in the publicity and the news media doesn't take that into account. So, well, guys, if there's nobody else, let's uh, see what we have coming up. We have another main topic here. I've got about five and a half minutes. And, you know, we're on, I believe, our last segment. So whatever we're talking about at the end of this, um, you know, time frame in the next five and a half minutes, we'll end on that note and start off with a fresh topic. Uh, Policetribune.com. So we've got, yes, a new source for police information. Policetribune.com. Professor refuses to take down thin blue line flag. University says they can't make him. Um I love reading stories like this. So James Moore, professor of engineering and policy at the University of Southern California. So yes, that's USC. He's in California, David. I can't believe it. He tacked up the American flag with a blue line running through it outside his office door at the start of the fall semester. This is all on Fox News. So outraged students have called for him to remove the flag. Professor has refused. And so uh, Moore told Fox News, quote, I wanted to communicate to progressively oriented students that there's a competing point of view. He says that they live in something of a progressive bubble on a college campus. This is just like what we talk about on the show. He said that uh, I wanted to communicate 
to conservative students, of which there are many that, in fact, they're entitled to their voice, that the messages they hear are really not representative of society at large. And Moore said that he put the thin blue line flag up outside his door to send a counter message to the premise that black people were at more risk from police violence. He said, I think it's a lie. Black lives benefit rather strongly, disproportionately, from the activities of police. Black lives are at greatest risk from reduced police service. And then he goes on to say, if all lives matter and black lives in particular matter, then we need to make sure that they're secure. Now, we have a graduate student. I'll have the information and her name and everything. And, you know, it's in the article we'll put up. But she complained about this thin blue line flag. And she said it was inappropriate, unnecessary symbol to have on his door. And uh, she's, you know, she's talking about it needs to be broader diversity initiative and all this other kind of crap. And the, the college basically told him to go pack sound that he's not violating any college policy. So, so good for, you know, good for this guy. And, and, and I love the premise behind what he's doing because we know that our colleges today are slanted a bit to the uh, liberal side and they're just cranking out these students that just, you know, it's our own fault, but these students don't have the uh, appreciation uh, for law enforcement that, you know, their parents and their parents' parents had. So um, this guy's trying to make a difference, especially in California. I know you're thinking, you know, good luck, but at least someone's doing it. Any comments on the story guys? Not from anybody. All right. We'll uh, move on to our next one then. I have another update on hiring woes. Uh, the DOJ grants awards of $139 million to hire roughly 1,000 new police officers across the U.S. Uh, it says that uh, 183 law enforcement agencies across the country and in the U.S. territories, I guess, put in for it. So in total, they're going to have 1,066 new officers, um, and that's according to the Justice Department. And then We've got about 80 thieves that ransacked department store in San Francisco. And so, yes, uh, they're wearing ski masks. They have crowbars. They're ransacking high-end department store. And, and, of course, it's Nordstrom's. And uh, they're assaulting employees, stealing merchandise. They got cars that are waiting to flee the getaway and stuff. Um, they did catch three people, uh, but the majority got away. And uh, they're doing every, they're even like uh, using, um, they're assaulting employees, pepper spraying uh, people. It was a plane event. It's just, uh, that's what happens when you get rid of police. Corporal David? Well, not necessarily get rid of them, but that's what happens when you're San Francisco. So, um, and it wasn't just Nordstrom's, it was, uh, what was the other place? Oh, Louis, a Louis Vuitton store got hit. Um, a couple jewelry stores got, got hit hard. I mean, same thing. Uh, a big, large groups running in and uh, smashing and grabbing and running out and all that kind of crap. Hey, good luck. Uh, vote, vote, some, vote another Chesa Boudin or whatever his name is in there, out there somewhere, and, and uh, you'll get all that great, great stuff. We'll, we'll send you all of ours, too. Anybody that we can find, we'll send them out there. You won't get arrested. Just go out there and rob and everything. It's great. Cool. San Francisco is a beautiful place. Have at it, you idiots. That's right. And uh, and let's, by the way, let's let's raise the limits for charging people with shoplifting, too, you know, so they have to steal an exorbitant amount of, you know, merchandise yeah. before they get charged. And I, and I forgot, I'm, I'm sure San Francisco put in for some of those grants to hire more officers. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with that. I'm with you. <laughs> you in Portland and all the other places that have been gutted. Austin, Texas. Did you see the 60, the idiot 60 minute? Uh, show I think Ron was talking about it where they they sugarcoated the, the reimagining police in Austin yeah they didn't talk about their spiked homicides and crime rates and everything but but you have a choice now if you call if you'd like a mental health uh, person to come instead of the police 
Oh, boy, it's getting fun out there. You know, they still, and we got, you know, 29 seconds, we're going to end on this topic, but, you know, they still don't know uh, why they're losing police officers and why they can't get them back. I mean, you know, they haven't figured it out yet, which is the scary part. That's leadership, a failure leadership, period. That's all it is. The chief out there is has got his head so far in the sand, it's just, it's incredible. In Austin, Texas, he has no idea what's going on. So good luck to him. All right. Well, thank you, Corporal. We'll be right back after this commercial break. This is the conclusion of only the first hour. I believe that all of our radio stations are fully ca- are carrying the, the full two-hour version of the show. So uh, stick with us. We have some uh, great stuff coming up for you over the uh, the next hour of the show. <laughs> 